Seed Society is a non-profit working for the holistic development of children, woman empowerment, community development program. Saluka is a completely unreached area. If you see the West Bengal map, we have not even one person Christian. And in the Saluka village, none of the people heard about the name of Christ. They don't allow any Christian activities in their village as well as the surrounding village. But by God's grace and through your support, we got a land. So your support will help us definitely to construct the church building as well as many people will come to know the saving knowledge of Christ. My name is Raul Lopez. I'm the executive director of Men of Valor. I, our ministry has been around for over 25 years. A, a lot of our populations deal with drug addiction, which basically the root of that is hopelessness. And that's why we bring in Jesus Christ. And uh, that's why we do both prison ministry and reentry ministry and family ministry, because uh, it's, it's very complex. And we have concerts and, and uh, uh, invite churches to, to come with us to do services and get them in, uh, interested in God. Then we have uh, classes that they sign up for, whether it's job reentry. The second part is men come to our programming, and that could be men that not necessarily have gone through our program in the prison. And not every man in the prison comes to our program, but we have that reentry component. We believe in ministering physically, spiritually, and emotionally. My name is Laria Kwachi. I am with Johnny and Friends. Johnny and Friends is an organization that uh, began in 1979, really just to make sure that no family living with disability feels left out, but everyone has a place, a sense of belonging, and feel included. Hey, Cross Point Church, my name is Lauren Allgood, and I am with World Relief. In 2019, World Relief saw this um, need of people with disabilities, and launched a pilot project in Malawi to begin training and equipping and mobilizing churches to reach out, advocate, and include people with disabilities in their ministries. And since then, hundreds of church leaders have been trained and thousands of people with disabilities are now serving and thriving in their communities because of the local church. This is Jesse Rudy from Redeem International just saying thank you for parting with us in the work of protecting widows and orphans. The reality is that if you're a woman in Uganda and you lose your husband, the odds are about one in three uh, that violent men are gonna come in the middle of the night to drive you out of your home and steal the land that it sits on. And what we do is we partner with local law enforcement authorities to ensure that the laws that exist to protect these women and children are actually enforced. Uh, we intervene in individual cases with a goal of restoring those families back to their homes, restraining the men who stole them from them, and rehabilitating the surviving families. I, I traveled to Ghana last July and was there for a couple of weeks at our Wheels for the World outreach. And um, this was so intentional, um, how Johnny and Friends goes into uh, these areas and really minister to individuals with disabilities by providing them a wheelchair. It's not just a distribution. We have mechanics there, we have occupational therapists there. They interview each family. They 
sit the child or the adult in the chair and they cut the chair and fix it to their form just for them. Um, while we were there, there was not a day that there was not a, a line wrapped around the church. We were able to distribute over 255 um, wheelchairs or light devices, whether it was walking sticks or walkers, and over 84 souls were saved and, and, and shared their, confessed their love for Jesus Christ for the first time. My name is April Landry, and I'm the Director of Admissions and Business Development at the Next Door Treatment Center for Women. So we serve women 18 and up that are struggling with substance use disorders and co-occurring mental health. And our program offers every level of care from inpatient detox to outpatient services, wherever they're at in their journey and supporting their recovery. My mom was one of the very first clients that went through the Next Door almost, you know, 20 years ago now, the relationship that I have today with my mother, I owe to the next door and the program and everyone that was involved along her journey um, left such an imprint of love and the love of Christ on her life that it's lasting. My name is Tracy Levine and I am the Executive Director of Healing Housing. We are a nonprofit residential recovery program for women with limited resources throughout Middle Tennessee who are healing from addiction. All women that come to us are coming straight from residential rehab and then they're coming out and the only place they have to go because of finances is back to the place in which they came. Again, women who are on the margins, who have poverty, and where sober living or recovery housing wouldn't typically be an option. So I'm Kelsey Oseman. I'm the Director of Design and Development with Urban Housing Solutions. We're an affordable housing uh, provider. We're a nonprofit. Um, and we've been doing this work in Asheville for about 32 years. Journeys of Hope is a program for those that are in substance abuse recovery that need housing. For me, it's not only a job, it's like a ministry. It has so many positive impacts on not only people's lives as individuals and families, but neighborhoods as a whole. So Urban Housing Solutions currently uh, has developed about 1,600 units across Nashville, and we're only in Nashville-Davidson County. We do see a, a future that is possible where every Nashvilleian has a place to call home. We served over 1,500 women last year, and collectively, I think it's over 13,000 in the last 19 years. Um, the money that we fundraise allows us to continue to provide the level of care that we do, the quality of care, um, and have a solid program for women that do not have resources. Because for so many folks, they have been told that they don't belong. Um, so having that place that folks can call home um, is not only like a, a empowering yes. piece, um, but just I think allows folks to thrive in so many other areas. So many. So on behalf of all our church members, let me take the opportunity to express our gratitude for their, for your support. Of course, donations help, and the donation that was graciously given by Crosspoint, which we thank God for, will help us get more chairs in that area, but we need the hands to help uh, distribute and share the love of Jesus Christ with families. With your gift of $30,000 this year toward our Disabilities Inclusion Initiative, we are now expanding into three more countries with this training. So now churches in Burundi and Rwanda and DR Congo 
are being trained and equipped to advocate and support people in their communities with disabilities. It is overwhelming to me because thank you is not enough. Um, it, it, it feels like not enough, but that money is, um, is just a dream for us and representative of what, you know, of the housing side of all, what all women want, what all of us want as human beings is, is a roof over our, our head and, and safe shelter. I just wanted to say a quick thank you to you guys for making this sort of work possible. Uh, the $25,000 gift that we received from Crosspoint earlier this year is basically enough for us to support an attorney, salary, benefits, and even expenses for an entire year. And we are grateful to be a part of the body of Christ alongside you in doing the work of the kingdom. Thank you, Crosspoint. Because of the way you give, because of the way you share, because of the way you love, we get to hear stories like that, and it's all about the rescue. It's all about the rescue. It's helping rescue people spiritually, uh, emotionally, physically, relationally. It's the rescue. It's helping people find the hope that only Jesus can give. And, uh, and so we get to, because of the way you, you have given, we get to partner with some incredible ministries and nonprofits. Uh, to see God bring the rescue in people's lives. And, uh, and one, of my, one of my favorite quotes from C.T. Studd, he was, a, he was a cricket player in England who ended up um, in the early 1900s, ended up coming to Christ, and God just completely transformed his life. He gave his life for the, for the mission field, and, um, and he gave away $2 million of inheritance, gave away his inheritance, his inheritance of $2 million, and went to, uh, to follow Christ and, uh, and went to serve him. And he had this great quote. It says, some people want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Like, what a mission statement. And really, when you think about the rescue mission, when you think about the heart of God, Jesus said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. Jesus is on a rescue mission in the earth. And we as a church, like we want to join him in what he's doing. We want to take our little lives and weave our lives into his greater story of what he's doing and bringing the rescue. And in the scriptures, it talks about in 2 Corinthians, the verse is that today is the day of salvation, which means God is always in a rescuing kind of mood. That means every day is rescue day to God, and God wants to bring rescue in people's lives. So I wonder today, like, where do you need a rescue? Because rescue is not just for people out there. Rescue is also for people in here. Rescue is for each one of us. Where do you need rescue today? Maybe it's fear or anxiety or worry or depression, or maybe it's despair. Maybe you need rescue. Maybe it's pride or selfishness or sense of emptiness or lostness or trying to find meaning in life. Where do you need the rescue? And the good news is today is the day of salvation. And rescue is not just something that, that God does. Rescue is who he is. In fact, when the angel comes to Joseph and gives Joseph a sense of what's to come, when you go back and read the narrative and the account of Jesus' birth, the angel tells Joseph that she, Mary, will give birth to a son and you were to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. Now, the name Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua. Can you say that with me? Yeshua. 
the Hebrew name, and you are Hebrew scholars today, and the, the name Jesus, Yeshua, means God is salvation. So even his very name, when we say the name of Jesus, what we're saying is a declaration that God saves, that God rescues, that he rescues us from our sin. And at the same time, he rescues us from the pit that we find ourselves in in life. He rescues us from despair. He rescues us from ourselves, that he rescues us into the life that he's created us for, that he rescues us. And there have been times in my life, and I don't know if it's true for you. I know it's true for me that there have been times in my life where I've been so fearful and I've been so, I had a sense of like, Oppressed. I've, there have been times where I've been, I've been lost and I've been turned around. There have been moments in life where, where I've faced temptation in a way where I don't even have like a real sophisticated prayer. The only prayer I can get out is in the name of Jesus. Have you ever had a moment like that where you know, that's all you have is the name of Jesus? What I want you to know today is that's enough. Because the name of Jesus is a prayer. It's saying God is salvation, that there is power in the name of Jesus. And when we say, when we just cry out, maybe you've been in a place and you're like, I don't know what to pray. You can pray his name. You can cry out in his name because today is a day of salvation. Today is always a good day for a rescue. God is in a rescuing kind of mood today. And so I don't know what you need rescue from today, but I know it's in the heart of God to bring the rescue. It's not just what he does, it's, it's who he is. And so the question is, can Jesus help me in the middle of my storm? Have you ever had a moment in life where things went from calm to chaos real fast? Maybe it was a phone call, maybe it was an email, maybe you were talking with somebody, maybe it was a conversation, maybe a text you received and things went from calm to chaos like that. Maybe that happened this past week. And the question is, when the storm comes, will Jesus meet me in the middle of my storm? Can Jesus make a difference today in the middle of my storm? In March of 2020, many of, you, many of you remember, if you lived in Nashville at that time, if you're from California, welcome since that time. But um, in March of 2020, there was a tornado that just ripped through, that just ripped through the city. And, uh, and it ripped through the city. And when it did, it, our broadcast campus took a direct hit. And it, um, it just it took off about a half of the building, just tore down about a half of the building, including our kids space and our offices. And so the past three years has been rebuilding. And so this past week was a really exciting time because we got to open back up the offices. And so we got to open up back up the offices. That might be, not be a big deal for you. It's a big deal for us because we've been displaced for three years, officing out of any place that we can find. Um, and for us to have those offices back was a really big deal. And so we were just, we were really happy about that. And there was one person on staff who said to me, he said, Kevin, you've been on staff for, for six years. He said, do you realize that you've been longer on staff without offices than you were on staff with offices before? And that was a really depressing thought for me to think about. And I was like, man, I don't remember asking you to do math, but like there was just, there was just that moment where it was the realization of, man, it's been long. And it took me back to that moment of when the storm hit. And a sense of powerlessness. And then I had a moment, I had a moment where um, March 3rd of this year, I don't know if you realized it, but March 3rd of this year with the anniversary of the tornado three years before was the day when storms came into town. And so there was like 60 mile an hour winds. They canceled school, tornado watch. And I felt like a real sense of fear. I think what they call it, like triggered. <laughs> I, was, I was triggered in a way of like, man, feeling this. And I had to realize what's going on. Like I could feel it in my body. Have you ever been there? Like I could feel the fear in my body. And I realized that I was powerless over storms. 
Like I was powerless in life over the storms out there. And sometimes that can create a storm in here. Have you realized that there are storms that we're powerless over? Now, there are some storms in life that happen because of our own decisions. But many of the storms that we experience in life happen beyond our control or beyond our sense of power, beyond our power. And there is this teaching out there, and there's this teaching out there that, you know what, that if you have enough faith, you won't experience storms in life, that you will not experience suffering in life. But that's not true. In fact, Jesus tells us just the opposite. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, I've told you, this is him talking to his disciples before he goes to the cross, which is the ultimate storm that he took on our behalf, that he took the wrath of God on himself so that we could, we could be made one with God, so we could reconcile with him, we could have peace with him. And Jesus tells the disciples before that storm, he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have storms. In this world, you will have adversity. In this world, you will face challenges. In this world, you will encounter suffering. But take heart. Take courage. I have overcome the world. Jesus promises a couple things in this verse. He promises that we will face storms, and he promises that he will give peace. And he promises that when we go through the storms, we will not be alone that he will be with us and he puts his spirit inside of us, which is the spirit of the overcomer. And what that means, no matter what storm you're going through today, you can have peace in the middle of it and you have his spirit inside of you, the spirit over the overcomer that Jesus overcomes sin and death and hell and his spirit lives in you. That the God who made you and the spirit that dwells inside of you is greater than any storm you're facing right now. I might start preaching today. Because there's somebody who needs to hear it and the fear has had a chokehold on your heart. And God wants you to breathe again. And so would you let him speak to the storm? We, uh, we're going to look Mark chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Mark 4. In Mark 4, it's this, uh, it tells this story. Really, kind of go back. It tells the longest day in Jesus' life. The second longest day, the longest day was the crucifixion and the night leading up to that. The next longest was the 24 hours that we'll read about and just kind of give you an overview of what was going on, set things up. Jesus has been teaching. He taught the crowd. He taught all day and he was exhausted. He told the disciples to get in the boat. Let's go to the other side. They get in and when they're going to the other side, they encounter a storm. When they encounter the storm, the boat begins to get swamped. They think they're going to die. They get to the other side and they encounter a demon-possessed man who comes running at them, who is living among the tombs, cut himself with rocks. And Jesus cast the demons out of that man into some pigs. And then, and then the people run Jesus off on the other side. Jesus comes back to the other side of the lake and when he gets there, a woman who had been bleeding, had an issue of blood for, for years, for 12 years. She sneaks through the crowd, touches the hem of, his, hem of his garment. Jesus heals her. And then Jairus, whose daughter had just died, who was the synagogue ruler, he comes to Jesus and gets Jesus to go to his, come to his daughter. Come, and he, Jesus raises her from the dead. And so when we go through and we read about that day in Jesus' life, what I want to see, I want to pull the thread and the theme that runs throughout. And the thread and the theme that runs throughout is fear. So you've got the disciples who are afraid of the storm. You've got the people on the other side who are afraid of the demon-possessed man living among the tombs. And then you've got, this, you've got this woman who's afraid of being found out and discovered. And then you've got Jairus who's afraid of death. And there's this theme of, of, of fear, but then even greater than that, there's the reality of authority. 
And what God wants us to know and what Mark wants us to know, Mark wants to make sure that we know that that Jesus has authority, that he has authority over storms and he has authority over demonic spirits and he has authority over disease and he has authority over death. So no matter what storm you're going through right now, Jesus has authority over that storm. And so that builds our faith to know that he has authority. And I wish I had time to teach all of those stories, but I only have time today to teach the first one in Mark chapter four, when Jesus tells the disciples, let's go to the other side. And I believe that that today as we look at even our own fear, and I'm not sure what fear you're carrying, maybe if you've got fear of an issue going on at work, or maybe you've got fear of something that's going on in your family right now, or maybe something that's going on in your body with a diagnosis, or maybe there's fear of death, or maybe the death of a loved one or sickness with a loved one. Maybe there's fear of rejection or fear of being all alone. Maybe the fear that you're struggling with today is the fear of the unknown. Maybe you're afraid of being canceled. Or maybe your fear today is that, that things will never change or maybe a change that's coming. And so I believe today that Jesus wants to meet you in that place and that he wants to give you peace and that he wants to give you hope and that he would build your faith. And he's gonna use this story of Jesus and the disciples in a boat to let you know that he's in the boat with you and he's with you. And so I want, to, I want you to see today how he rescues the disciples from their fear. In Mark chapter four, verse 35, we pick up in that verse and it says, and that day when evening came, he said to the disciples, let us go over to the other side. So a quick geography lesson to help us out with this. We're gonna need a map and I'm gonna play weatherman for a second. So. Jesus and the disciples, they're over here and he's been teaching. And then he tells the disciples, let's go over to the other side. Now the other side was slaying. The other side was over here for the Decapolis. Now the Decapolis, that's Greek for the 10 cities. And these were pagan cities. The other side were where the Canaanites, you remember they drove the Canaanites out of the land, out of the promised land and into the Decapolis. And so this is where, this is the, this is where the, the people didn't worship the one true God of Israel. They worshiped the gods of Canaan, they, of Baal and Baalzebub, and they, they worshiped the other gods. This is a pagan place where instead of um, sacrificing sheep and lambs, they, they sacrificed pigs. And these pagans, this was an evil place. This was considered an evil place, a, a dark place. This was considered a God-forsaken place. And so when Jesus said, let's go to the other side, Like no God-fearing, God-loving Jewish young man with a rabbi would ever expect their rabbi to say, let's go the other side. So when Jesus said that, they were afraid. It's like telling some homeschoolers from Thompson Station, we're going to Broadway on Friday night. They're like, there's fear. There's like, we don't know what to expect. If you want to email me after that, go ahead. Go right ahead. Just not afraid. Um, I'm not picking a fight. I'm not. God loves homeschoolers and private schoolers and public schoolers. And he wants every student to have a sense of faith. Whatever school you're in, like God has called you to be on mission for him. It was just a good joke. So, um, and so Jesus tells us, go the other side. Well, they're, they're afraid. And so there's this sense of, there's this sense of fear. And look at what happens, verse 36. It says, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. 
And there were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And so there they faced this storm. There were a bunch of boats together. Jesus and the disciples are in one boat. The storm starts coming. They start getting swamped and they think, we're gonna die, we're gonna die, we're gonna die. And so in that moment, there was like, they're like, where's Jesus? Because we're dying. These are experienced fishermen. This is the kind of storm that they're facing with the wind and the waves. They think that they're going down. And so they're like, where's Jesus? Verse 38, and Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Have you ever been in a storm in life and been like, where's Jesus? And it felt like Jesus was taking a nap because that's what's happening with the disciples. And so they're like, where's Jesus? Well, look at what they do. It says, says, the disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? See, they made it about his character. They begin to build their theology around their experience rather than take what they knew of Jesus into the storm. They begin to let their circumstances interpret who God is and said, don't you care? Don't you care if we, are you indifferent to our suffering, Jesus? They didn't know whether to be angry or to be amazed. Be angry that Jesus isn't picking up a bucket and doing something and bailing the water out of the boat or being amazed that he could sleep through a storm like this. But you know why Jesus could sleep through that storm? Because you can sleep in any storm that you have authority over. You can sleep in any storm that you are in charge over. And so Jesus can sleep in the storm. You know why? Because he knows that he's not dying in a storm in the lake. He knows he's going to die on the cross. And even though he knows he's going to lay down his life on a cross a year and a half from this point, he could still sleep because he knew he could trust the Father. And he could encounter the cross because he knew there would be a resurrection. But I'm getting ahead of myself. But I wonder today, the, the gift that God would want to give you is a sense of sleep. Maybe some, you have, your sleep has been stolen because of fear. And God wants to meet you in that place. I believe he wants to meet with you in that place and restore a sense of sleep and rest. And disciples are like, Jesus, why don't you get up? Why don't you do something? And so they wake Jesus up and look at what he does. Verse 39, and he, he got up, which he's standing in the boat. I guess if you can walk on water, you can walk in a boat. And so he gets up and then he, he says to the, he says, he rebukes the wind and the waves and said to the waves, quiet, be still. What's interesting about this is Jesus talks to the wind and the waves in the same way in Mark chapter one, verse 25, that he talks to a demonic spirit when he casts a demon out of a man in the synagogue. So Jesus talks to, to a storm and he talks to demonic spirits the same way. He says, shut up, get out of here. And Jesus commands, like just exercises authority in this moment. And he, he, you have the creator over creation speaking to the storm in the same way he speaks to these demonic spirits. And Jesus is letting us know he has authority and he has power over the spirits and the storms. In verse 40, and he said to his disciples, or let me get ahead of myself, and said, then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Now you want to see something cool? Go to Psalm uh, 107, Psalm 107. 
In Psalm 107, verse 28, this was written over a thousand years before this moment in Mark chapter four. It says, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm and they guided him them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. So the psalmist said when Messiah comes, he'll be able to tell the storms what to do. The, the disciples, they knew this word. They knew the psalms. They grew up on this. And so in that moment, they're like, who is this man? This is the son of God. Lights are going off on the dashboard. Who is this man who tells the wind and the waves? We said what they're saying is this is the Messiah. This is the promised one. They see him for who he is. Now, let me show you a painting. I'll show you a painting. This, this is a painting uh, called A Storm on the Sea of Galilee, and it was painted by Rembrandt when he, was, when he was 27 years old. In 1633, Rembrandt painted this painting. It's a beautiful painting, magnificent painting. And, and in this painting, it's this scene from Mark 4. And so in the boat, you've got, you've got Jesus, down, Jesus in the back of the boat. He just woke up from a really good nap. And then you've got the disciples and you've got, you've got Peter up here who's just holding, he's trying to, trying to steer, trying to control in the midst of the storm. You've got other disciples who are holding on, holding on for dear life. You've got this wave just from, you've got this line that's broken up over here. You've got, the, you've got people gathered around, gathered around Jesus. You've got one guy just kind of huddled up in fear. You've got this guy down here puking his brains out. He's just seasick. He's just, he's just Tossing up fish and chips right down there. And you've got, and you've got them gathering around. And, and, and what's interesting about this painting is how many people are in the painting. If you know about this painting, you know there are 14 people in the painting. Well, thir 14. Well, 12 disciples and Jesus, who, the, who is the 14th? Rembrandt. He painted himself in the painting. Here he is right here in the middle of the boat, holding on to his hat, holding on for dear life looking at the camera or at the audience, looking at the camera like Jim in the office. You know, he's just, he's looking out there because he's, he's letting, he's identifying with us. And the question of this painting is where do you see yourself in the boat? Because the, the, the masterpiece here is how he painted it in that one half of the boat is just, is filled with fear. And the other half of the boat is filled with faith. And Rembrandt paints himself in the middle of the boat. Because that's all, I'm, I'm looking at this, I'm like, I see you, dude. Bro, I get that. Because when the storms in life come, I can be in the middle. And sometimes I'm in this place of deep-seated faith. And other times I'm just hanging on and trying to control and trying to fight the storm and trying to manipulate and make things happen. And other times I can be in this place of, of peace and of rest and of deep trust. But I can be in this middle place between, between faith and fear. And I want to be, I want to be in the group. I want to be in the group in the back of the boat. I want to be in the group that's trusting Jesus, gathered around Jesus, is living with that kind of faith. This is a beautiful painting. Maybe that could be your lock screen this week. I mean, just even as an invitation. Um, but do you know where this painting is? You know where this painting is? Anybody know where this painting is? You know why nobody raised their hand? Because nobody knows where this painting is. Because in 19, I believe it's mid-1990s, this painting was stolen with some other paint, like one of, the, one of the most significant art heists in all of history. Some of you have seen it on the documentary on Netflix and you feel like a art history expert right now. And so, but it was stolen with a lot of other pieces out of this museum. 
And I thought, man, what a picture of life. That we live in a tragic world filled with uncertainty where paintings get stolen, where injustice happens, where violence takes place, where evil happens, where there's darkness, where things get taken, where people wrong other people, where there's loss and there's brokenness and there's grief. We live in a tragic world filled with uncertainty, but that doesn't get to write the rest of the story. Jesus said, take heart, I've overcome. And I believe today that he wants to restore faith and he wants to restore hope and he wants to restore trust. And sometimes he stops the storms out there, but the promise is that he can stop the storm in here, that he can give us peace. And so today, while we don't get to choose the storms in life, I do believe that there are several things that we do get to choose. So I wanna talk about God's authority, but then at the same time, your authority. Your authority is your ability to choose. So we don't get to choose the storms, but let me give you three things you do get to choose. And if you're gonna, you may wanna write this down because here's, there's only three groups of people listening to this message. The first is those who just went through a storm. The other is those who are in a storm right now. And those are, there's a storm coming. I know that's really encouraging to hear, but there, storms happen in life. Let me give you three things that you do get to choose in the middle of a storm. The first one is you can choose where you look. You don't get to choose your storm, but you can choose where you stare in the middle of your storm. In Hebrews, there's this great verse in Hebrews. The author of Hebrews writes, we must pay most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. He's saying we must pay most careful attention to what we've heard so that we don't drift away. Drifting in life is the reward for not paying attention. Have you ever, have you ever been driving down the road and that's called a rumble strip. On the side of the road, you get over it, you just start, you know what I'm talking about? They break up the asphalt to let you know you're not paying attention. That's the strip of asphalt that lets you know, put your phone down. Don't get nervous, I'm just saying. That's the moment, say, you need to pay attention to what we're doing. This is callback, and so there's a call to pay attention. But what happens if we go right past the rumble strip, there's another reminder to pay attention, it's called a guardrail. And if we don't pay attention to the guardrail, there's another call to pay attention and that's the ditch. And in life, what happens when we don't pay attention, we drift. And sometimes in life, have you noticed how there can be just the spirit of God inside of the rumble strip, rumble strip, and then we blow right past the rumble strip. And the, the guardrail is always a more expensive way to learn. And then we blow right past the guardrail. And really that's just God's grace to help protect us. God, because out of his love for us, he wants to protect us. And so, Drifting is the reward for not paying attention. Have you ever noticed that you don't drift into the life you want? Nobody ever drifts into six-pack abs. Have you, ever, have you ever asked somebody like, how did you get so ripped? They just say, nothing, man, just drifting. Or Oreos and potato chips. I mean, that just, you, we don't drift into the life we want. We don't drift into fitness. We don't drift into character. We don't drift into a great marriage. We don't drift into a great relationship with our kids. We don't drift into a great relationship with our parents. We don't drift into the life. We don't drift into financial strength. We don't drift into a strong face. We get there by paying attention because what we pay attention to is what we feed and what we feed grows. What we pay attention to is what we feed and what we feed. And if we pay attention to the things that bring fear, our fear grows and our faith diminishes. Have you noticed that? Can you think back in 2020? I don't know, but I in 2020, I became an expert in some of the storms of life. 
And I knew more about the storms and what was going on out there. I paid more attention there than my faith. And here's what I found is the more I knew about the storms, <laughs> is my faith began to be. But when I began to feed my faith, my fear began to be diminished. It's a powerful principle. What we pay attention to is what we feed and what we feed grows. And so there's a scripture in Isaiah and the prophet Isaiah says it this way. He says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. We don't get to choose the storms, but we do get to choose what we stare at. And when we fix our thoughts on him, our faith grows and our peace grows. And so drifting is the reward for not paying attention. But peace is the reward for turning, turning our attention toward him. There's this old song I heard when I was a kid. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full at his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We get to choose where we fix our eyes. We get to choose where we place our attention. We don't get to choose our storms, but we get to choose where we sit. In Psalm chapter one, it's this great psalm. It's the first, it's the first psalm. And the psalmist says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step of the with the wicked or stand in the, the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers or whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, choose wisely who sits closest to you. When storms happen in life, that's a great time to take note of the seating chart. Who are the people who are influencing you? Who are the people who have a voice into your life? Who are the people that, that you are listening to? Because he said there's a blessing from choosing wisely who's closest to you. But sometimes, here's the other side, sometimes the storms in life happen because of other voices that we have close to us. In, in the Proverbs, Proverbs 13, it says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Here's the, here's the principle in this word. If we walk with wise people, we grow in wisdom. He says, but a companion of fools, a fool is a person who knows the right thing to do, but does not do it. He says, a companion of fools suffers harm. It's a storm. And so a companion of fools suffers harm. What he's saying is if you walk with wise people, you grow in wisdom. He doesn't say a companion of fools becomes a fool. He just says we suffer harm. I'll prove it to you. How many of you had a bad idea friend in high school? If your hand's not up, it means you were the bad idea friend in high school. Right? We, we all know this from experience that there can be storms in life that are self-imposed because we've forgotten the influence that who's closest to us can have on us. So if we walk with wise people, we grow in wisdom, but a companion of fools suffers harm. And so what the scripture is an encouragement to us to say, continue to gather around with people who will speak words of encouragement to you. In Hebrews, remember this is written to the church. It's experiencing persecution. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says this way. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Because scripture says, and Jesus said, in end times, there will be this increase of fear on the face of the earth. There will be a raising of, there will be more fear. And what the, what the scripture's telling us is don't give up meeting together. Why? Because we draw strength in the storms of life when we gather together. I mean, we can learn so much from the recovery community, from our brothers and sisters that are in AA, because they know the power of meeting. 
They know that when storms in life, or even when there's not a storm, there's a storm coming, or maybe you just came through a storm, that there's power in meeting together. Like, let's don't give up meeting together because we need one another to encourage one another. And so we, as followers of Jesus, what Hebrews was this encouragement, don't give up the meeting. Don't give up gathering together. Because we need grace givers and we need truth tellers and we need God lovers and we need hope dealers around us and that we would be that for one another. And why do we create more services on Easter for more people? Because there's fear in the earth right now and we know that people need the hope that only Jesus can give is we want to create a space, create a seat. It's why we have invitations to say, an invitation, come sit with me. Come be a part of what God's going to Come experience the hope that Jesus can give. It's why we have these cards for an invitation and to leverage an opportunity like Easter, a weekend out of the year where people are open to an invitation and the hope that only Jesus can give. We choose, we go through storms, we get to choose where we sit. And then last, taking notes, you can write it down. You get to choose what you hold on to. You get to choose what you hold on to. Hebrews 10, 23 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Hold on to hope. What's our hope? Our hope comes from the truth that we know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that he gave his life upon a cross so that we could be reconciled with God, so that we'd be forgiven of our sin, so that we'd be made new, so that his spirit could live inside of us with the promise that we will be with him forever. And so we hold to that hope that he is with us and that we're not alone in the storm and that he has overcome. So we hold to that hope. But what happens is when we face fear, fear causes us to forget. We get amnesia. We forget. That's why Jesus told the disciples, you, you, you lack faith. You know what faith means? Trust. He said, you like trust. How do they like trust? Because they forgot. What did they forget? They forgot the last thing that Jesus told them. What was the last thing Jesus told them? He said, before he took a nap. <laughs> He said, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. If they had just remembered that, that'd have helped because Jesus told them we're going to the other side. Listen, when Jesus tells you you're going to the other side, you're getting to the other side. You're getting to the other side of death. You get to the other side of this sickness. You get to the other side of the suffering. You get to the other side of this pain. You get to the other side of the loss. You're getting the other side of the grief. You're getting the other side of this addiction. You're getting to the other side. When Jesus promises you, you're getting to the other side. You're getting to the other side. So we hold to the word. We hold to the promise. We hold to the last thing. Go back and remember the last thing he told you and hold to that. And anything that is not that, the fear and the worry and the lie and the guilt and the shame, anything that is not that problem, you let that go and you hold tight to the hope that we profess unswervingly, hold fast to that hope because he who promised is faithful. He's faithful. So you don't get to choose the storms, but you do get to choose where you look and you do get to choose where you sit and you do get to choose what you hold on to. And I want us to close with a song today that really is, it's a song for the storms. And it has become a prayer for me. It's a song I crank up in the storms of life to remind my own heart and to remind my own soul that he has the power to turn it around. And it may be a new song for you, but I would encourage you at the moment in the song where you're just like, this is my song. Maybe you just hear it and this is the first time you heard it, but when you're ready to say, this is my song. 
This is my prayer. God, would you turn this storm around? Would you turn this thing around? You can make it your prayer today too. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you. I thank you that we can trust you. Out of your sovereignty, that we won't experience any storm in life. without you allowing it. And we thank you that you have authority over every storm. So we pray that today that you would speak to the fear, that you would speak to the storm inside of us, that you would bring peace, that you bring trust, that in a moment, God, you can turn things around in our circumstances. God, in this moment, you can turn things around in us. So would you replace the fear with faith and with trust? Would you replace the, the worry with rest in your love? place that anxiety with your peace. God, would you deposit hope? I pray for those today that have struggled with sleeping. Lord, your word talks about how you give sleep to those you love. If that's you and you're just saying, God, I need your help sleeping. Fear is stealing my sleep. Would you just open your hands? Jesus, you say, come to me, all you who are burdened and weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I pray that today, in this moment, that you give sleep. I just see a picture of, of somebody before they getting into their bed, just getting down on their knees. God, I surrender this night. Maybe there's even fear and anxiety about even going to sleep. Just getting on your knees. I see somebody putting your phone underneath your bed. Just putting your phone under your bed. Getting on your knees and surrendering your sleep to him. God, I pray that you would meet that rest tonight. That you'd meet them in that place. That you give rest. God, I pray for those who carried in just even overwhelmed with fear. God, I pray that in this song, that your perfect love would drive out fear and that faith would rise, that hope would increase, and even in this song, that things would, would shift inside of us, that we begin to believe again, that you are a God of miracles wind and waves obey you, the wind and waves out there, and the wind and waves inside of us. Would you speak those words, quiet, be still, and in the being still, would we know that you are still God over the storms, and you can turn this around. In Jesus' name.
Turn it around. 